Welcome to episode six of the podcast of Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story. I am the author, Shireen Chichiboy. Chapter six. Let Judy die. Judy's mother sits beside her, as she has every day, watching the daughter who was not supposed to die, dying. She sees her daughter lying semi-conscious in the stark hospital bed under a sheet tent, smelling like rot, looking emaciated. Tubes are coming out of her from everywhere, and pumps are all around. She cannot see how her daughter will live. She misses her lively daily telephone calls. Only a month ago, she and Judy spoke every morning on the telephone, talking about her grandchildren, talking about Cliff, talking about things a mother and daughter are supposed to talk about. With Percy having died in 1963 from a heart attack, the phone calls had become even more important to her. But now, she sits in silence, beside her silent, still daughter, in the midst of the noisy machines keeping Judy alive. This is their new morning ritual. Every morning, Marjorie eats breakfast, gets dressed, and goes down to TGH to sit in this green room with her dying daughter. Meanwhile, her daughter, who speaks little and hardly knows that her mother is there, doesn't eat breakfast and doesn't need to get dressed. Marjorie hates this new morning ritual. Suddenly, she has had enough. She stands up, picks up her purse, and walks out of the room and down the hallway to the gastroenterologist's office. Sun streams in through the window behind the cheerful young secretary. The blue-walled waiting room is empty. She asks to see Dr. Jijiboy and is told he will be coming out of his office soon. She sits down. A strange-looking calendar with odd caricatures all over it leers down at her from the wall. She stares into space, seeing the image of her dying daughter, steeling herself against tears. Men don't like weepy women. He comes out with a patient, sees her, and comes over. Hello, Mrs. Russell. What can I do for you? I need to talk to you. Certainly, he says, and leads her into his office. He gestures toward a chair, but she cannot sit. She's too pent up to sit and blurts out her thoughts. Dr. Gigi Boy, my daughter is dying. It is not possible to live without eating. And with no bowels, she cannot eat. I don't understand what it is that you're doing, but my daughter isn't getting any better. Let her die. For pity's sake, let her die in peace. Mrs. Russell, I'm trying to save her life. I agree. We're trying new technology, and I don't know if it will work, but she wants to live. And as long as she wants to live, I have to give her that chance. I watched one daughter die already. I cannot watch another. This must be very difficult for you, but I will do everything I can to make sure she doesn't die. We're giving her the best of care here. She doesn't speak for a moment. Then she nods and walks out. He follows her, reaching around to open the outside door for her as she exits to the hallway, where she pauses and turns back to face him. Please let her die, she says, but her plea is a token effort. She knows she cannot change his mind or Judy's. He watches her walk back to G South and to her vigil. Kush, I want to talk to you about this patient out here you've taken on. Hearing his name, he looks around to see one of his senior colleagues descending upon him. What you're doing to this poor woman is barbaric, sticking her with needles, putting tubes down her throat. You don't really think this is going to work. 
It's all very well for you and Bernie to feed post-operative patients this way. You can't do much harm in the short term. But for heaven's sake, man, this is insanity. He bristles. I've worked with Dieter in mixing solutions that will properly nourish her. I can feed her. I've proven that already. The only problem is how to infuse it long term to find a catheter that will stay in. And Bernie is working on that. You have to stop this nonsense, Kush. You're being presumptuous, playing God like this. She's going to die and nothing you can do will save her. You're merely prolonging the inevitable. He tightens his lips. I have patience to see on the ward. I'll walk with you. The two men walk the short distance to the G South nurse's station, which faces Judy's room. They stop at the counter. The senior colleague continues. Look, you're still new here, so I give you that you may be able to feed her, maybe. But that infection I hear she has, that will surely kill her, and you'll have wasted many invaluable hospital resources on her. But even if you can save her, what kind of life will she have? You can't expect a once healthy, vital woman to put up with the life of an invalid. She will be subnormal. That's no way to live. Be realistic, man. All right, I'll see if she can fight off the infection on her own. I won't do any heroic measures, but will continue to feed her. His colleague smiles, slaps him on the shoulder and says, That's my man. He hasn't looked once into Judy's room from their vantage point across the hall. The colleague retraces his steps back out of the ward while the young gastroenterologist looks across the hall into Judy's room, where he sees her holding onto Cliff's hand tightly. Her voice rises above the sound of the pumps. Cliff, please don't let me die. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible. Podcast by the author Shireen Boy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under instrumental music for film and video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.